Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Late night. What's up, Chalky? Do you remember Fuel TV? Dude, of course I remember Fuel TV. Fuel was epic. I know it is. But I have some exciting news. And what's that? Fuel TV is back. What? It's so sick. Yeah, back and better than ever. And they are the newest sponsors of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Yes, I love it. Thanks, Fuel. You know what the best part is? Of course I do. You can now get Fuel a whole bunch of different ways. You can subscribe to their new app called Fuel TV Plus and get their entire library of shows like Built to Shred, Danny and the Dingo, and Drive Through, and also their 24-7 channel, all commercial free. To subscribe, just go to plus.fuel.tv and download the app. The other way you can watch is Samsung TV Plus, channel 1179. That way is free and includes the better than ever Fuel TV that we all know and love. Skate, snow, and our favorite... Surfing. Surfing. Wow, Lyndon, that's pretty awesome. Really pumped. Hell yeah, it is. Welcome back, Fuel. Welcome back, Fuel TV. Fuwax. The wax that's found under all of the best surfers on the planet. You mean... Late night? Always under my feet. And Chalky? How do you think I pull those big airs? And layback Lars. And those laybacks. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not doing the 90s again, are we? I don't do those anymore. Foo Wax, the best wax in the game. Foo Wax. Bonsai balls! They only use real Asahi, not like all those other imitators using sorbet full of sugar. Yuck! They also get their honey from a and bee pollen from a bee farm. Healthy and delicious. No processed honey. What also makes them amazing is that they roast and make their own peanut butter. Damn! They've got seven locations. And download the Bonsai Bowl app to skip the line. Skip the line. Order ahead. Bonsai Bowl, healthy, delicious. Original. Caliente Southwest Grill. Healthy Mexican food featuring local organic ingredients. They also have great salads, vegetarian and gluten-free options. Wow. Yep. Don't they also cater and make party packs? They do. They have all your needs for all your events. Nice. Visit calientesouthwest.com. Or go to the restaurant in Costa Mesa off of 17th Street. Caliente Southwest. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Crafted in San Diego. It's an adult beverage built for all walks of life. Bro, you've had it. I've had it. It's delicious. It is so good. It's refreshing. Only 100 calories. All organic. No sugar. Also gluten-free with 0.0 carbs. Hashtag enjoy cold Ashland hard seltzer <laughs> friends and family brothers and sisters welcome to the late night with chalky podcast 
Welcome, listeners. This week, we got an awesome guest from Hawaii. He's a former pro surfer, publisher. He's a producer, a photographer, an all-around great human. Welcome, Mike Electronic. Supersonic wow. Electronic. <laughs> that was quite an intro. Thanks, gentlemen. Yes. Hey, so, do you have any nicknames there, Mr. Electronic? Um, you know, I've had a few through life. I think um, in Laguna Beach... Uh, I used to, I, I grew up, uh, when I first saw the Pacific Ocean in Laguna Beach, and then we, we hung out at Thalia Street and Gaviota and that area, and there was a group of guys back in the, you know, this was in the 70s, and I, I, when we told them our names, because me and my brother would cruise the beach, we were trying to learn how to surf, and they were like, Latronic, Latronic, <laughs> and somehow somebody called us, what, what, because it was, they, they thought we were like light switches. So I was, I was, my brother was click and I was little click. So I had little click when I was very, you know, just starting to surf. And then, of course, everyone started calling me Tron after the movie. So nice. Um, yeah. Tron's kind of the one that's stuck. Stuck forever. But hey, anything better than shithead's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the, the bull dog. said, right? I think the bull said that first. Oh, right? yeah, maybe. Yeah, I probably stole that one. I heard it somewhere. So, like so you it. think you you got out of the water just uh, just a little bit ago? Yeah, we just got our first um, northwest swell, first legitimate northwest swell. It's not huge. It's just like yesterday. I was I was I was uh, I was helicoptering around trying to get these one to two foot waves, just making every single piece of whitewash I could work because we've been a little surf starved on the North Shore. South Shore's had waves, yep. but um. Today, solid three to four, maybe even five, six, five foot sets. Wow! Sunset, sunset was uh, it was plenty too. There's like it was kind of like wave after wave after wave. So I, I went out for an hour and I was like, I got an appointment. I gotta go. Oh, I got like ten waves. So I was stoked. We cut it short for you, but hey, let's start back at the beginning. So yes. you you uh, you got into surfing here in California. You were you were yeah. I was actually born in New York City. What? Get the fuck out of here! No, I was born in New York City. I was really into baseball and football, and you know, we were poor. We were pretty poor. My mom and dad divorced when I was pretty young. I think there I was about seven years old, and um, my mom did okay for us. She, she, we were on welfare, but we always seemed to have, you know, a loving home and, and good food. And she was a bit of an artist, eccentric. So. Um, yeah, when, we, when I was about eight, eight and a half years old, um, my mom's friend told her the lore of Southern California, and they had moved to a town called Laguna Beach, and to come on out and, and move our, my, her kids out there. And so my, we did it. And what happened is my, my dad, even though my mom and dad were divorced, they, they rented a, a, a station wagon. And we had a Siamese, a Burmese cat, a white German shepherd, me, my brother, my mom, and my dad jumped in this station wagon with everything we had and drove to California. Um, we poured out onto Coast Highway, I remember, from the canyon. We turned left, heading towards, I think we were on Diamond Street, so we were heading south. And our, I, I rolled out the window, it was rolled down a little bit, and after 3,000 miles, I remember my cat freaking jumps out the window. <laughs> Right, right around St. Anne. And I'm like, Mom, Mom, Dad, the cat is gone. And we circled back, but it was gone forever. So we lost our cat. Wow, you we made got- it all. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All the way to California from New York, yeah. and the cat well, decided to jump out. The dog didn't make it either. A couple of weeks later, the dog got loose. Um, I was out surfing or at the beach or something, but my mom told me, yeah, the dog got on the, the coast highway and didn't make it. But, but anyway... <laughs> we cried for our dog. It was a beautiful white German shepherd. Um, but yeah, we, we turned left and, and I remember seeing that, like we showed up, it was a freaking third reef Brook street swell. I remember somehow we were like near St. Anne's or at the top of Clio or something. We were, we were at a lookout. It, it was a private lookout and we could, I could see all the way from like almost sleepy hollow all the way down to Brook street. And I just remember giant walls of blue water and, 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 and brown seaweed flying up, you know, and it was like super glassy, but it, you know, it must've been like whatever, six to eight feet Hawaiian. Wow. But in Laguna, that means, you know, it That's was huge. third reef. Yeah. It was, it was, it was 10 foot Brook street. And still to this day, that's the biggest swell I've ever seen in Laguna. And that was when you first pulled up to Laguna. That was like our first look at the ocean in California. I went, oh my gosh, what are those people doing out there? So you saw surfers. I saw surfers on the best swell ever in Laguna, maybe. Well, South Swell. And you didn't surf the New Zealand swell. You didn't surf prior to that? You just showed up and that was the first experience to surfing? My, my first experience was going to Jones Beach in in, um, in New York City and to see I remember oh, okay. a dead shark on the beach. Oh no no no! My, my mom took us to the Caribbean, and we did in St. Thomas and St. Croix and Dominica. I remember one of those stops. We 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 there was a beach place my mom used to bring us to, and it had a little shore break. So me and my brother would body surf when we were like. I don't know, maybe five or six years old. We, we were jumping in the waves and trying to ride them and just body surf, but we didn't know what surfing was at all. Wow. So when you finally came to California, you ended up in Laguna. So you guys settled down there in Laguna for a little bit? Yeah. My mom scored a, a little um, two-bedroom house on Gaviota Alley. Um, uh, it was like kind of just down from Thalia Street, right? Right. If you know Laguna, it's it was like there's a little health. There's like a Taco Bell, then there's a health food bar, and then I think it was Ogenesis or some some little boutique store. And we lived right above it. And Crazy. we were like, we weren't on the beach, but we were like walk across the street to the beach. So yeah. we, we were stoked. And I remember I had a my mom bought my first surfboard because we we wanted it. Oh, I got another story about how I started surfing. But my first surfboard that was my own, I remember, was a a, a twenty dollar down home. Remember a down home? No. No. It was called a down home. Huh. And, and 
I remember I could turn the board upside down and it was so deland that when I turned the board upside down to drain the water out of it, <laughs> I could feel the foam inside shifted like a half an inch. Like so it was like a it was like a shell of a board with the with the foam I don't know. It was so bad, but um you know who took me surfing for the first time and I met I met this guy Maybe you guys got to guess. He's a famous, he's like super famous uh, reggae singer in Southern California. Uh, he's a bit of a skimboard. He grew up in... Common Beach. Sense Don't guy? Don't say the name. Don't say the name. And the first time I ever saw him, he was flying his kite at the top of St. Anne's down the hill singing, Who Wears Short Shorts? <laughs> That's right. Lead singer for Common Sense, Nick Hernandez. No way. Yeah, my first childhood friend in Laguna Beach, and we, we hung out a lot. He took me, um, him and his dad took me to San Onofre. Um, I think Dokini's the first place I stood up. Dude, what a small world. Uh, we used to watch Common Sense here in Huntington at a at a bar oh, called, um, what was that place called? Atlanta. Dang it, dude. Now I forget. It was off his of, famous, his no, famous haunt in Laguna. Out of Bounds. Out of Bounds. The Sandpiper in Laguna, where he's always played. The Dirty Bird, they call it. The Dirty Bird, yeah. I partied there before. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, God, childhood in Laguna Beach was awesome. I mean, you know, coming out of the streets of New York City, we, we were living on the east side. I remember getting, I never like to fight, right? I'm like the least guy that I, I do not like violence. I, I much rather apply di- diplomacy and logic over violence. But it happens. And I remember in New York City, I used to get into fights all the time, whether it was some black kid or, 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 or a Puerto Rican kid or, or, or an Irish guy or whatever. I, I don't know why, because my mom let my hair grow long, and I had long blonde hair, and I just have to used to fight. I remember having to get, like, I remember actually, like, three or four actual kindergarten through grade school full scraps, like bloody noses, oh. bloody lips, and I was, I was a terror. Damn. Like, I was super strong for my size. And, but, but you I were you were pretty small though, right? I was tiny. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like 110 pounds, five foot three, whatever. And then and then when I moved to California, everyone started going through puberty. You know, I was like whatever. I moved there when I was nine, but sort of around 10 or 11, 12, everybody started getting bigger. And I remember <laughs> the last year we were there, I was like 11 or 12. I was 12, and I joined the football team. And this is when I realized, holy shit, everyone's getting huge, but me. <laughs> And the damn coach was like, Frick Latronic, you move that, but you know, you had to run and punch the bag. I actually got third place in punt, pass, and kick in, in Laguna Beach because that's all we did in New York was play football and, and baseball. But when I got to Laguna, everybody was so big and they wanted me to be a tackle to start. I'm like, Are you freaking kidding me? Some of these kids were like 150 pounds, like they had 40 pounds on me. I don't want that running at me and I'm going to, you know. I was like, that's yeah. when I went surfing full time. I was like, okay. Thanks. I could relate. I could totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you grew up in Laguna up until what age? Well, we moved there, scored a place. It wasn't such a ritzy town yet. It was a, like a real artist town, and my mom was a sculptor and a painter. Um, wow. And and so she had a great time. Like they used to just own, not own, but like really party down at the sawdust festival like you used to go to the sawdust festival and smell hashish and tie buds and 
and everybody's drinking wine and whiskey and dancing and singing in my booth. Uh, my mom's booth was like the center, like, oh my God, people like to. So yeah, my mom was a total artist hippie and the town got more and more stringent and more and more rich. Yeah. And within three years, we couldn't afford the rent. Wow. So again, we followed a friend who had moved to Hawaii. She married a Japanese surfer dude. And my mom scored us. I mean, I don't know where we were going. We we're like, oh, Hawaii. We didn't know where. So many people were telling us, oh, go to Hana or go, go, go to Honolulu or go, go to, go to the Big Island or whatever. We we didn't know where we we're gonna end up, dude. We ended up on Comsat Road, where my mom's girlfriend Kim married a Japanese guy who was living with a bunch of other Japanese people. Two of them happened to be shaper and a glasser. So the <laughs> We showed up. The first place we surfed was freaking four to six foot VLAN. And me and my brother were surfing one to three foot barrels on the inside pole by ourselves. Or none of the big guys were even on the inside pole. Like we were, we were, we just got dropped off in the best place on the planet for surfing and, and by luck. What a trip. So how old were you when you moved from Laguna to? Uh, I was about 12. 12. And, and yeah. you'd already been surfing since like eight or nine years old in Laguna. I, I think I first stood up around nine. Yeah, okay. I didn't start surfing right away. I was, I was, uh, you know, I used to rent the rafts and, and ride the big inflatable rafts, just like all the other tourist kooks. And finally, somebody gave me an old water wonder, so I was body surfing. And then um, I started hanging out with Nick, and 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 I wanted to surf. And then my mom got me this beat up old board. Oh, there's a guy named Blade Nunez, an artist. You know that guy, Blade Nunez. If you, if you look him up. Blade Blade Nunez is was an artist, Indian hippie in the alley. The alley was just full of hippies. Like, oh my yeah. god, it was like. So we're we're talking uh, late to mid sixties to seventies. No, no, no. uh, we showed up in Laguna around seventy three. Okay. Yeah. So it was the height of of hippie. I mean. Yeah it, yeah, it was very hippie, and we had long blonde hair. We were right in there with the hippies. Um, and, and this guy blade, my mom surprised me for my birthday blade is airbrushed me this amazing barrel of a wave on the bottom of my board, a brand new board. I got a brand new five, five or something like that. And, and it was just, yeah, that, so I, I don't know. It, it, I called it the spoon though. Cause the shape was really like, God, there was like the tail was super narrow and the nose was super spoony, but still I was like, um, Anyway, I don't know where I was talking there. Yeah. Sorry, I was... Well, before we go to Hawaii, so so where did you surf in Laguna? Brook Street and Oak Street and all that? No, no. Honestly, Brooks was was like feared grounds for me. I, I was fully, um, you know, we, we tried to surf Thalia a lot and, and North Reef and the Sandbar, uh, especially in the wintertime when, when the lifeguards uh, weren't there as much. I can't remember how it all worked back then. But, yeah, I think in the wintertime we didn't have to worry about the lifeguards. And, and the, the little rights at the sandbar used to get pretty fun in North Reef. So I kind of grew up in tricky, little rocky conditions. And then the reef was, like, really good. But, you know, there's a pack of guys out there that wouldn't let Groms have waves at all. It was so different back then. Yeah. That's everywhere. We couldn't get waves in Huntington. Nowhere, nowhere. The older generation never gave us the opportunity to catch waves. Yeah. Nowadays, you got all the parents shooting for the kids and blocking for them. And go, 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 where'd you drop them? Dude, the Grom's got to learn respect. I mean, nothing. Like, look, I'm I'm happy to give a Grom a wave every now and then. But, man. The, you got to the, have the etiquette. 
level of entitlement yeah. that parents are teaching their kids these days is a little out of control. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we hear you. We we had we, a we were, we were we were brutalized like we 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 would like if if I got too many one one day me and my brother were were scoring it was like one to three foot North Thalia and 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 you know we had started gotten a little more confident and, and we were getting some set waves and I remember we went to lunch we just went home left our boards on the beach went to lunch and the the boys had buried our boards <laughs> oh guys said took your <laughs> we were all in tears you thought they were still <laughs> Finally, we that we broke. They broke down and told us, "No, you guys are just getting too many waves. We had to hide your boards." Wow, uh, that's hilarious. So, we, so when your mom said you guys were going to move to Hawaii, were you already like in like knowing the surf <laughs> spots with the magazines and knew what what Hawaii was about? Well, to be transparent, I don't remember seeing too many magazines back then. Um, yeah. We were pretty poor. I, my mom didn't buy me any. Maybe I saw some at surf shops and and, and stuff, but. I distinctly remember the, the 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 month that my mom told me this. We had just seen um, at Laguna Beach High School. We saw Five Summer Stories. Wow! I say it, but it was Five Summer Stories, and it was like freaking Jerry Lopez pipeline sequence. And I'm like, Mom, Mom, I want to go surf pipeline and ride a Jerry Lopez lightning bolt board. I was like so froth. I'm like, dun, 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 dun. Uh, and then, and then, so is that Jimi Hendrix hum- you're doing? What's that? Was that Jimi Hendrix you were humming? No, no, no. Honk. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. It was, it was a band called honk. Okay. Yeah. It, it, they did the soundtrack for five summer stories. Oh. Really beautiful soundtrack, by the way. I, I actually, I remember buying a case of those, but nobody uses CDs anymore. I'll have to pull that one up. <laughs> but so, uh, the um, you know what? Let me let me let me bring that music up so I can play it for you here. Yeah. But um, the um, honk pipeline sequence. Okay, here it goes. You're gonna hear. It. I think you'll be able to hear it. You guys still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the music. So so we're all grom sitting in the dark theater watching all these waves on the North Shore. And then I just remember this, this, I don't remember exactly if this was the point of view stuff that Kirk has, just like, you know how we, back then is so different because even a slow motion shot of a guy paddling into a wave was exciting. Like nowadays you need an Air 360 to get anybody to like something or it's like, right. back then it was like, you just were like stoked to see somebody get barreled. That's classic. Now you remember? Okay, if you didn't hear this, then you missed the 70s. All right. I'll have to pull it up. It's, it's, you know, if you, if, you, if you knew it, you like it. If you're hearing it for the first time, you're maybe like, oh, my God, what is that whale noise? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the – I think I've heard it before, but it's been years. I'll have to pull up uh, – the uh, the video, five anyway, summer stories. So we went to this movie, and I used to hang out with this kid. I don't know. This kid should have been a rock star. Um, you know, from Laguna, you had Mike Armstrong was like the best guy there, and he used to surf the pipeline with Jerry Lopez. Blah 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 blah. Um, you know, then but from our town came Mike Parsons and Jeff Booth. Mike Parsons didn't really surf yet when I left already. 
And Boothy, I remember when he was a little kid, he would not go out. Like, he would stay in the whitewash on the inside. Like, he, when he was a little kid, we're like, oh, my God, this kid's really talented, but he's never going to get on the outside. But there was a kid named Steve Sadler that was by and far the most talented 13-year-old surfer I may have ever seen. Wow. And I've seen a lot of surfers. And he used to just stay in Laguna and just surf the reef. And he, you know, he liked the, the reef when, when the lefts got good. But we used to surf. So I remember I was there with Steve Sadler. And, and we all went to the movies. And we were just like, oh, my God, we got to get to Hawaii one of these days. And, and, like, I swear to God, like a day or two later, Mom goes, hey, guys, we have to move. Uh, we either want to go to Mammoth or you guys want to go to Hawaii. And we're like, so it was done and we didn't know where we were going and we ended up right on the north shore and that was just your mom you and your brother or was your dad still around too the funny thing is my dad and his girlfriend had visited laguna while we were living there and she fell in love her girlfriend fell in love with it she had she had plenty of bucks, so she bought a house on Brook Street. So every year after that, we would go back and visit my dad, who lived on Brook Street. How funny! For about ten years, yeah. So, so, so I, your your dad had a girlfriend that lived in the same town town as you guys. Yeah, they moved there the, the year we left. They, they moved in. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we didn't live in the same town together, but they they were moving to to, to California while we were moving to Hawaii. Got it. All right, so take us uh, back to the day at VLand. Was that your was that your first? Uh... I remember it was like super late at night. We didn't know what to expect. We pulled out our boards, which were way too thick and wide, whatever California boards. Um, but I just remember like barrel after barrel, like wow, this is the easiest thing ever because the wave would just stand up. You can set up and just get barreled. So you were and you were getting proper tube rides on the inside bowl. Yeah, moment. like yeah, like you know, like. The proper sets where the big boys were getting them, you know, but but like we just wait on the inside and guys would fall off and maybe we'd grab it or or in between sets we'd get those little like one to three footers and it was just like if you've ever served VLAN, it's like a little machine. It's, yeah. That, that's up in the same place every time in barrels. I've only surfed it once. I'm sure Laura, you've you've probably been there multiple times. But um Yeah. How what what was it like getting, you know, moving Hawaii and but the warm, warm water too. Everything, the reef, the colors. The, the locals. Insane. How are the it locals? Was, the locals were cool. I mean, we were so little, it didn't matter. Um, oh, short footnote. I witnessed the first ever stand-up bodyboarder at V-Land. It wasn't Chris Wan. Chris Wan was uh, was like the next generation of yeah. stand-up, you know, guys that would stand up on their bodyboard and rip. And Chris Wan was great at it. But there's that shaper guy, Nelson... Sadoy. He's a surfer also. But this guy Nelson Sadoy was with us on the inside bowl getting barreled on his bodyboard. Anyway. That's crazy. Kalani's getting really good at that now. (laughs) (laughs) So second second career bodyboarding. Yeah. So boom, you're on the North Shore. You're starting to go to school there. Um you get new boards and Oh, uh, long story on the new board. So my mom freaking scored us. We went from ComSat straight to Sunset Point on the beach. There was a guy there, they called him Stony Greg, that had a house 
on the point, and he wanted to go away for six months or something like that. So they did a sublease where my mom just got the house for six months. We inherited his dog, and we moved in. And during those six months, my mom actually built herself a room because it was only a, it was a one-bedroom house at Sunset Point. So my mom slept in the living room until the, the <clears throat> me and my brother had a bunk bed or whatever in the other room. And, and it was a tiny little house at Sunset Point. But guess what? The rent was 240 bucks a month Damn. on the beach at Sunset Point. So they, they, they bought some lumber or whatever. Uh, one of my own boyfriends or whatever built her a, a, an outside room with a, with a mosquito net and everything. And by the time Greg came back, the dog didn't want to leave us. And he felt sorry. So he just gave us the house. He gave us the lease. So we lived at Sunset Point for like the first 10 or 12 years living in Hawaii. And, um, yeah, every, I mean, I can see Sunset and Rocky Point from my window uh, in the living room every morning. I mean, beat up old crap house, but what a spot. Yeah, that's a perfect house to be in paradise in, if you ask me. <laughs> what, what was it like, uh, like, you know, when you, when you moved there, obviously uh, VLAN was breaking. It, it must have been like winter or spring or some sometime during the winter. I mean, what was it like just to get infused into that, you know, giant surf that the North Shore produces? Well, you know, at first, I don't know what was up with us, but me and my brother kind of, we, we went out to sunset. I remember we, we probably did the full Howley Boy thing. The wrong thing to do is we showed up. I, I would guess, looking back now, that it was like a four to six foot swell because it was on the point, but it was also in the middle. Four to six Hawaiian. So, you know, maybe some eight, ten foot faces. And it was glassy. And I remember the first time we paddled out to sunset, we just paddled out from like, you know, the middle, went through the whitewash, didn't know anything about Val's Reef. But um, we, we got out there, and, and we were catching waves on our little old beat-up, you know, our, our fat California boards and stuff. <laughs> and um, I don't know. We just kind of took to it. So, um, But guess what? Guess who my neighbor was? Like, So we, we get out there, and, and there's some other kids kind of riding the bull. And we didn't wear leashes back then, believe it or not. You know, like you didn't paddle out to sunset with a leash normally. You, you didn't. Um, not at first, anyway. Later on, when they made the urethane leashes, we did. But the 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 guy sitting out there was Ronnie Burns and Jason Majors. How sick! Wow. And, and they were kind of ripping, you know. Obviously, Ronnie and, and Jason were were really good surfers. And they, you know, me and my brother are like, "Whoa, let's let's sit where these guys sit and let's do what they're doing." But then we realized that we like to sit further out. And and after a while, like. You know, we, I realized Jason was my freaking next door neighbor. How funny. So Ronnie and Jason became my best friends. And, and that's what we did. We just got up and freaking went surfing all the time together. So you started getting better and better, obviously. Um, and I know, like, Ronnie Burns used to surf contests and stuff too, right? When, when you guys were groms? Yeah, Ron, Ronnie was, was a pipe master. Uh, he was obviously very good on his backside too, but he was just a big, strong, goofy footer who, you know, did really well at pipeline. And yeah. he was like the starlight starling, you know, Hawaii rider for Billabong for a long time. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, when you got into competition, were you, did, did you get into competition? Okay. Um, 
me and my brother entered the Hawaiian, um, what's it called? The, the, they called it the Mabo Royale. It's the Haleiwa International Open now. It's the one they have every year around Christmas time. And, and we, didn't, we didn't surf that many HSAs or, or, or amateur contests. But this one in Haleiwa, somehow my mom got us in it, and, and we went down there. And our first year, we both got second. I got second in the boys behind um, a guy named John Yamauchi. You guys probably never heard of him. He was a Haleiwa local. Kind of like, he was like the younger Kerry Tarakina. Do you know who Kerry Tarakina yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. Kerry Tarakina is like the most underground freaking Haleiwa shredder of all time. Yeah. Like we Back in the day, we would have put money against, like, put him in the water with Sean Thompson, Kerry Tarakina is going to win. Put him in the water with Kelly Slater 10 years later, Kerry Tarakina is going to win. Kerry was just so ma'a, means knowledgeable about Haleiwa, and he surfed well. But anyway, John was like a younger Kerry. Um, he was my classmate. He won the boys, and Kerry won the juniors. My brother got second. So we both got two Holly boys, runner-up, the first year ever in the Haleiwa International. That's insane. Yeah, we were like jazzed. So, um, so even as international, but was it like a just a local like locals event? Yeah, it was mostly locals, but they yeah. call it international because there's a, there's a strong Japanese component to it. The, the, there's like Japanese sponsors and, and the Japanese crew that took to, to Haleiwa kind of ran the event, and, and yeah, so, that's cool. Uh, they had a big Japanese. The only other amateur contest I really remember on the North Shore was Chun's Reef, and I just wrote about this because um, I had Derek Ho in my heats. Oh, wow. I actually beat him in an early round, but in the finals, he beat me. But then everybody told me I should have won the finals, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, Back then, you didn't have a scoring system. You had no idea what the result was until they told you later. You know, They hand-wrote the scores and everything. And, and, and so I remember... Um, that contest at Chun's was, was super fun. It was an HSA or whatever it was called back then. And um, Derek befriended me. I was like, yeah. You know, he was like, and I, and I just wrote this because our, our newest issue of Free Surf Magazine is um, a Derek Ho tribute. It's oh. just about to come out uh, mid to end, end of September. Awesome. So we just did a tribute and I wrote a publisher's note. And I just recounted the day that, you know, I, uh, like Derek was super competitive. And then, you know, uh, Michael lived on the North Shore, and Derek would come out to visit every now and then. So we hung out a little bit. And finally, he invited me after this contest to Waimanalo. So I didn't know what I was getting into, but this Howley boy goes to the freaking the most local part of the island possible, uh, other than maybe Waianae. And I hang out with Derek for the weekend, and, you know, he's showing me his trophy room, his brother's trophies, and all. Derek was like a little freaking Fonzarelli, man. He, he was like the Don of Waimanalo. And, and, and I, I, I just knew he was a special guy. Like not just the surfing. The surfing back then was like, I think when he finally cleaned it up and got more consistent, he got better. He was a little herky-jerky when he was little. I thought he was beatable. I, I, that's why I thought, oh, maybe I did beat him. But Derek was obviously, you know, Michael's younger brother. We all expected great things from Derek and but when I when I hung out with him and saw his personality I went oh this guy's gonna go he 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 never likes to he doesn't want to lose and he's determined to win and and you know I just I just knew that I'd be losing to Derek Ho my whole life after that's crazy <laughs> what's funny you know 
being a, a fan of surfing and, and remembering back those days, the Hawaiians always seemed so mellow and not so competitive, aggressive, you know what I mean? But Derek, I mean, obviously he was world champ, so you, you got to have well, some kind of uh, passion. Yeah, I think, I think the world championship came out. What, what I meant back then was, was like he was like such a smooth operator. Yeah. And he was showing things to, to impress me, which was the desired result. Like he liked to be impressive mm-hmm. and he liked to win. And I think he strategized very early age how to get ahead. I mean, it was a rough neighbor. You know, he used to run with a pretty rough side, rough crew in Kailua. And yeah, finding, you know, Derek's passing recently was, was a huge hit to the surfing world and yeah. especially the community in Hawaii. And, you know, thinking back more about who Derek was and, and how he evolved and stuff, man, I wish I hung out with him more now. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, him and I went different ways. He got involved in some not so great stuff in the last 10, 20 years. But, you know, hey, he was still Uncle Derek Brown. He was always smiling and, and he was positive. And you see him go out on the biggest freaking days of pipe and charge. And, and the last time I saw Derek, we both surfed big, gnarly, semi closed out sunset together and i was about to go in because i was i went out there was like five guys out and a cleanup set came it was like 12 feet north so and it was a little hacky wind so it wasn't that good and it was just a little too big to be clean on the inside bowl but we were trying and and i was going to go in because there's no one left out and sure enough i see one little guy you know coming up and I'm, I'm like riding a wave and oh there's a guy paddling out i kick out and it's Derek all by himself <laughs> So it's just me and him at windy blown 12 foot sunset and we shared a few words and shared a few waves and then a couple more guys came out and I went in. But anyway, that's crazy. I, don't know, I started going on a rant about Derek. No, that's awesome. Um, rest in peace. I mean, he's a legend. Yeah. Um, tell us about how you got, I mean, we did to us, to me, Larson surfs big waves, but I am not a big wave surfer and I'm sure a lot of our listeners including me, we, we kind of trip out on, on how a guy like you from New York city, you know, went to California, kind of learned how to surf in California and then bam, you're surfing shore break, getting barreled at V land. And then now you're talking about sunset. <laughs> like what was that progression in that? You know, do, do you remember days where you're like, Whoa, I don't know if I can handle that. But then you, I don't remember. I mean, of course, there's a natural tendency to have fear in in heavy situations, but I don't remember ever being like, like my I was small too back. Then. I mean, I was probably a size 28, 27, you know, in my teens, my waist, and and I was probably like all of five foot six, one hundred and twenty pounds, and I remember going out to sunset, and I remember having like a five ten single fin. <laughs> I remember sitting next to Peter Cole back when Peter Cole used to surf more. Peter Cole would be on his freaking 10-foot board. I'd be on my 5'10", and I'm dropping in behind him on 10, 12-foot set waves at sunset as a grom. I didn't really think I was all that or anything about it. I was just trying to make the waves, you know, just trying to have fun, trying to, you know. Of course, I wouldn't yell at Peter Cole. He's Kapuna out there, but... But I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can get around. Maybe I can cross this track and get up high behind him and, and just avoid that giant board. You know what I mean? It was it was just 
I was just out having fun and, yeah. and, and experiencing stuff. And my brother was with me for a couple of years and he ended up going to college. And then mostly I surfed with uh, Jason and Ronnie and a guy named Sean Wingate. Um, and then uh, one of my neighbors, the, this guy, the, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, he's a one-armed kneeboarder named Buddy McCray. No. Anyway, Buddy McCray would take me surfing everywhere. He was about six or eight years older than me, so before I could drive, he was already driving. We would go everywhere. We were surf Nazis, man. We, we I mean, I, I did good in school, but I, I can remember surfing six, eight hours a day on a normal day, even with school. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I surfed that much, but I did. That's did awesome. Did you surf uh, Rockies a lot, that deep border? Yeah, Buddy Buddy would go to Rockies quite a bit. Okay, I think I remember seeing him. Yeah, he's he's kind of a backyards guy now. He lives with backyards, but um, who was uh, who was your yeah. first who was your first sponsor, John? First ever sponsor? Check it out, Hawk Surfboards. What? Yeah. Yep. So you know, um, you know the guy Bill, Bill Taylor, the professor. They they did a they did a they did a part for him in the movie North Shore. The, 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 there's the professor, right? He was a photographer. Yeah. In the North Shore, okay, Bill. The real professor, who they stole his name or whatever, he was a surfboard builder, and he was a ghost shaper for Hawk and Brewer and, of all people, Alan Byrne. So that's why for a couple of years, I don't know if you remember, I used to have all these channel bottom designs. Yeah. Anyway, Bill would surf Sunset Point all the time and was telling Hawk about us, and so we went to Rocky Point one day for a tryout. And it was me, Ronnie, Jason, and a couple other kids to get on the team. I, you, you know, when Rockies is getting too big, we didn't have surf reports back then, so we didn't know what you know. We we paddled that. We we thought Rockies was three to five, but it was like more like four to eight. And I remember paddling out, catching one junk wave, having to kick out, and then I got caught inside. And I was paddling. I must have duck dove twenty waves before then they finally called me in because I was determined to get it back out, but I couldn't. I, you know, it was like the left was going all the way to Monster Mush, so I was just like I was just trying so hard as a grom to get back out and get my wave so I could make it on the Hawk Surf team. And they called me, and I thought it was all over. And they go, "Dude, anybody that tries that hard <laughs> deserves to be on our team." That's epic. But I think Bill told her, like Bill just said, "Hey, this guy," because I remember. I remember dropping in late behind the peak at Boneyards and sliding into the barrel on like four to six foot waves all the time when I was just like 13, 14 years old. And nobody saw any, no, nobody shot there. I never, all the fan, all the, all the famous stuff was happening off the wall and back door and maybe VLAN. And yeah. That's kind of where I got discovered. I got, I got a first photo of VLAN. But Sunset Point was like, nobody, nobody goes there to shoot. You know Right, I mean? right. Which is great. So, so how psyched was your mom like that you were getting a sponsor and getting like a you know probably some some trade in boards? I don't even know how it worked back then, but mama mama hippie girl, um, she was elated. She she would even you know I did I did really well in school here, so it was it was quite easy compared to the mainland. I, I don't know why, but for me getting straight A's wasn't that hard, and my mom would actually allow me like oh. The, Waves look nice for you guys today. It looks like it's about three to five. Are you going to stay home? I'm like, no, I've got an essay to do. Like, we were, we were self-monitoring ourselves. My mom was like, fully let us surf as much as we want. So, it was like, Mom John before Mom John ever, you know, like, my mom was like, just 
trying to help us become surfers. That's great. awesome. Now, are, you're a, you're a little bit younger than like the PT and Ian Carnes, right? Yeah, or a lot younger. But well, were you were you there? I don't, know, I don't know if young fits into my situation anymore, other than my <laughs> my attitude sometimes. But yeah. yeah, I feel pretty good. But yeah, I'm 56 now. Okay, so the those guys were coming over and a lot of international guys, right? Um, gosh, how were you there or was that the time like busting down the door and those guys were getting beat up or was that before? Apparently that was happening. I don't know if that was the exact year was there or what, but it was, I'm pretty sure the mid seventies or the early seventies is when it was happening. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't witness. I mean, I saw my share of fights, Yeah, I, you know, seen fights at VLAN. I seen fights at sunset point, you know, back then some of the bullies would be like, they weren't bullies. They just didn't like kooks. You know, like <laughs> I remember one, one famous guy, he's got a surf school now, so I won't name names, but, um, well, I, I can name names because it was fair. <laughs> to me, it was fair. It was Brian, Brian Surratt. It, and, like, everybody knew Brian was the bull. You don't mess with Brian. But for those people that came out and didn't know him, I remember banging rails with him once when I was behind him by accident. And he goes, no, no, no worries, bro. We go, go, go. You know, we just keep making it. So, you know, I guess being a little grom helped me at first because I wasn't intimidated, but I was just trying to get waves. And, and um but Uncle Brian was cool to us, and I remember, I remember watching him warn somebody. He goes, "Hey, brother, I, I don't, I know you're not from around here, and it's cool you want to get some waves, but we can tell you don't really know what you're doing. So I'm telling you now, bro, stay out of my way. You ding you my boy, anything, bro, you're gonna re- you're just like, you should go surf over there. He warned him. He warned him. That's who's best cool. later, whatever. This guy." Falls out of the sky, loses his board, whatever, all tangled up. Brian pops up behind him, doesn't say a word to him. Two bangs, blood, gone. Go in, <laughs> go in, bro. I gave you a chance, you know, and it's like, honestly, he's probably saving the rest of us. Yeah. Because they come out with their big single fins and they're super dangerous and they drop in, they don't know what they're doing. Some little kid's going to get hurt. You know, I'm not saying, I don't know legalities or whatever, but. As far as, like, you hear about these bullies, but half the time they're just kind of regulating what needs to happen. Yeah, most time. for sure. Sometimes you do see stuff that's unfair and uncalled for yeah. and, and happens everywhere, whether it's the basketball court, the baseball game, the, the nightclub or whatever. You, you see injustice in this world, and it, I don't understand it. But, yeah, Some... the local vibe was, you, you know, it was more of a, it was more of a deep, dark, like, you just had to be respectful. I, I remember um, one of our one of our friends we made in school, and 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 he came from Haleiwa to Sir Beeland with us a couple times. Was Kalani Foster? Okay, Marvin's little brother. Kalani Foster was a little Dane Kealoha when oh. we first met him. This guy went to Belzeland, sat further out than us because he was bigger and and darker than us, you know, and and he would get set waves and absolutely absolutely destroy them like dan kealoha i don't know what happened i don't know why he didn't progress like like marvin did but um you know we we just you know number one you got to have respect you got to go in slow you know you get too excited like even how the guys that 
they, there's not almost nothing worse than Holly guys or Japanese guys or Filipino guys acting like mokes. Nothing. Oh. <laughs> I see it all the time that like a Holly guy will tell another Holly guy, "Hey, bro, cool your freaking jets, bro. You're getting too many waves." You know, I, I'm always the kind of guy who just like, you know, maybe approach it a little passive aggressive, but get the message in like. You're pretty happy out here, aren't you? You know, you're getting a lot of bills. You might want to share a little bit with uh, some of the locals, you know, like something like that. But, you know, anyway, yeah, there, there's localism everywhere. Honestly, I think there's more. I've seen worse localism in California than I have in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just edit wave and, and surf etiquette, you know, like it's just I think the, the culture in Hawaii, like you were explaining with, you know, Uncle Brian, all the guys, he. They'll warn you and try to correct what you're doing mistake-wise. Here in California, it's just like there's no communications. It's just straight, you know. Altercation. Yeah. There's yeah. no communication. Well, I always thought California is like weird because everybody wants to sue each other. Over here in Hawaii, you get in a beef, you have yeah. a beer with the guy later. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, bro, we got that over with. At least that's how it used to be. And and even like, like everyone, you know, this whole lore around Fast Eddie. Dude, Fast Eddie, I've done business with Fast Eddie, and he's one of the fairest guys I've ever done business with. Like, as long as everything about the deal is understood going into it, you're good. Yeah. Yep. If he says, oh, it, it's going to be this later, this now, whatever, and, 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 and everything's, you know. On the table. Like, like when you didn't you didn't tell him, oh, there's a daily rate on that too. Sorry. Oh, like, what? No, yeah. no, I ain't paying that. <laughs> He ain't gonna pay it, so that's what he understood. But like the the heavy locals, I think are fair because life's more basic here. You know, in 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 the big cities, you have um, the high, the gang hierarchy. Yeah, we have little gangs here, the Hui and, and little cliques of people. But I mean, for the most part, and thank God, and I hope it stays this way. You know, the the knives and the guns are far out of the picture compared to the rest of the world and 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 people have their fisticuffs over waves and, and territory and girls or whatever but usually it stays that way i know the world's changing and everything's yeah getting crazy but you know we need a little like, hawaii yeah. everywhere in the world <laughs> yeah I, I think you know hawaii hawaii has a hard localism vibe but but really i think it's it's more of a there's something pure, more pure about it. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not condoning violence at all, and I'm not condoning misbehavior at all. I think justice is justice, whatever color you are, wherever you live. You know, there there's a pono way to act, and there's not. And and but I, I just think that the Hawaiians have got a, or the locals have got a bad rap for localism here, when it seems to be way worse, way violent, way more you know, dangerous yeah. in other places of the world and other things. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, but Mike, there's not, there's not 10 cameras on the, on, on every beach and every angle, you know, there it's so, it's so exposed because of the, the quality of the waves, the people that are there. So nothing can slide under the radar. It's like, Oh, did, and it's a little, you know, little area. So if something blows up, everybody knows about it and just accentuates like, there's been a few characters more recently that that have gotten away with stuff. Um, I'm not sure how because it's been <laughs> documented. Look, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I try not to turn on the. I try to stay away from politics a little more than the yeah. normal guy. But I don't know. Nowadays, it's like, oh, I know. 
So take us back to uh, your, Hawk was your first board sponsor. Yeah, Hawk then, was my first board sponsor. Um, I can't remember what happened with that. that. That lasted a year or two, and then I moved over to um, actually it was Dave Hill, a guy named Dave Hill, who became a production shaper for Local Motion. And I guess he told uh, Rob Burns about me, and so then my my first major sponsor was Local Motion. Oh, awesome! Cool. Yeah, and and um, I went out apparel apparel and boards. Like, like, did they make anything outside of t-shirts, board shorts? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they, no, no, no. I I didn't really. I don't think I rode the apparel. Maybe they gave me some t-shirts, but it was yeah. mostly the boards. I was getting boards from Dave Hill at first, and then Pat Rawson. And then um, um, I think I was sponsored. I was the first ever Billabong team rider what? in the United States. Yeah. So Buddy McRae, the one on knee boarder, was good friends with Gordon Merchant from like the 70s. And I guess Buddy's dad was Australian. Anyway, they knew each other. And originally Gordon gave the license for the USA to Buddy or was on his way to giving it to him or something like that. Anyway, something, I'm not sure what Gordon, you know, Gordon's Nick, bless Gordon's heart. I had many good years at Billabong, uh, but his nickname is Greasy. (laughs) Gordon the Grease? Even Buddy stayed friends with him, but I guess what happened is Buddy opened up, you know, Town and Country, HIC. I don't know who he talked to on the mainland, but Gordon... I guess, I, like I said, I don't know what happened with Bob Hurley and, and Buddy McRae. All I know is I'm friends with both of them. But I know it was some kind of shit fight. And and, and so Buddy was the first ever uh, guy. Bob was super nice, too. Bob was stoked to have me. And I was, um, you know, Bob brought in, so me and Peter King argue about this all the time. Because <laughs> PK was Bob's first Billabong team rider, but I was the first Billabong team rider in America, I was hanging out with Joe Engel and, 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 and those kind of guys back in the day when the Billabong crew would come over because we all lived in the same little area. And, and uh, That's kind of yeah. rad to, to hear. You're the first. Yeah, I remember when Gordon came up to me and Aki. Look, I'm not going to say as an adult I do anything illegal anymore, but uh, I remember we had smoked a huge freaking bomber. Like, <laughs> we were stoned out of our gourds after a surf session. Me and Aki were sitting in the living room at Buddy's house, and Gordon was staying with us or was at the house or whatever. And he showed us a photo of some somebody. I can't remember. And, he, and, he, and, and this was, like, early in the game. And Aki's all, he goes, what do you guys think when you see this? And Aki's all, yeah, no, you know, you get, you're going to think that, that that's, uh, you know, whatever Aki said, right? I'm sitting there looking at it one eye. I'm like, oh, it's kind of hard to describe. I think really only a surfer knows what's that like. You know, like a surfer knows that feeling. <laughs> Fucking only a surfer knows the feeling. Shut up. I, wow. I, don't, Tron. I don't know if that was before me or after me, but I said that. Come on. Are you making this up? 1974, 1975. You're not no, making... No, no. 76 or 7. Tron, you're not um, making this up? I'm not making <laughs> up. I'm not saying I came up with it before Gordon did. I can't remember if that was there. But now that I look back and I was like, oh, my God. You know how you remember things from your childhood Yeah, later? yeah. I remember this day and I remember saying that, something like that. 
And then I was like, holy shit, that was her moniker for like 20 years. <laughs> it was. It so still like, is. Well, Only a surfer's going to know what that's like. Only a surfer yeah. knows that feeling. That is yeah. amazing. What a great bit of uh, tri- trivia right there. That if is it, a good trivia. Even if it's not true, I'm still going to I'm going to take it as. <laughs> oh, I came up with Just Do It, by the way, for Nike, too. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So my, my, my dad was a bit of a, an age, like kind of a, like a, a sales guy. And so I, I don't know. I think I inherited that kind of goofy, like think of everything gene that this, you know, I'm not afraid to try stuff and whatever. Yeah. So, so yeah. were you. You're, you're, you're you're ripping your your sponsor. Do you, do you remember getting like a, a mag shot or or an ad from one of your sponsors? Okay, so me, Jason, and Ronnie got featured in a little story in Surfing Magazine. Um, I don't know. I was I was maybe thirteen or fourteen. I can't remember. Maybe fifteen. I don't remember. But it was they called us the Sons of Sunset. And guess who fucking Surfing Magazine had write the story? I, I think he was an intern back then. Surfing. Um, Famous Hollywood writer, producer now. John Milius? Chris Carter. Oh, Chris Carter. Chris Carter. Chris Carter. I forgot about He Chris. wrote my, our first little write-up on me, Jason, and Ronnie. And um, then I remember, yeah, Billabong would run me in ads all the time. I, I did, Yeah, I, I was in the Billabong ads a lot. Uh, especially the Hawaii mags and stuff. So when when did you oh, turn pro? I think I turned pro. I did I did the pro class trials when I was like seventeen years old or sixteen years old. Uh, I don't know. I didn't win any money, so I don't think I turned pro then. I don't know. It must have been around yeah seventeen or eighteen. Yeah no. What what I did is um I remember going to Australia for my first time when I was um, seventeen or eighteen. And I did every single contest I could with Aki, except I was in the trials, and I, I think I only like won six hundred bucks after five contests. I think I made main event twice, and I was pretty bummed. I was pretty broke, and I was like, "Oh, I got to go home." And then uh, Richard Marsh, Richard, Dog me, Marsh. me and Dog, he rode for Peak Wetsuits. I rode for Billabong, um, and. I remember we all went to Phillip Island together for a surf contest down there. I go, oh, come on, one more. It'll be an adventure. It's free because uh, Dougal Walker was driving. I don't know if you remember Dougal. He was like yeah. the, the CEO of Billabong later. But Dougal Walker was like the peak wetsuits team guy. And we all drove to, to Phillip Island from Victoria or whatever. It wasn't, you know, I don't remember. We drove, people drove a lot. You know, hours on the road was no stranger to that back then. But, um, uh, the, the waves were not that great, and, and I just remember they were telling us, I was so scared because all the fucking stories were about all the sharks at the island, and I was like, I couldn't even like be stoked in my heat at all. I was like so scared after all the stories, and you go to the bar, there's pictures of sharks in the bar. Anyway, um, we survived, and then when we were driving out, um, uh, I didn't do good in that contest, but I remember... On the way back up, where two things happened. One, Dougal Walker in a in a in a hungover state said, "Oh God, I can't believe I got a story to write still." And I'm like, "Oh, I did too." I was sitting in the front seat, shotgun by chance. It was my turn, and and uh, I did two years of journalism in school. I'll write it for you. Like I just volunteered, 
and it was for Tracks Magazines, and I wrote this story about our Phillip Island trip, and it was kind of about sharks, I think, but, you know, whatever, the old locals at the bar and the surf contest, but it, it, it turned out to be the first $42 I ever made as a writer <laughs> from Tracks Magazine, and then um, on the way up, that's when Richard was also telling me, oh, look, there's one more contest, Tron, you just got to stay for like another week, it's the Triple J Junior up in, up in Sydney. That's where your airport, air, you know, we're, we're driving back to Sydney. Just, you know, just change your ticket for 150 bucks and stay for this contest. So I did. And I'd like, I had like 200 bucks left in my pocket by then. And uh, I stayed for the Triple J Junior. And it turned out to be like Manly Beach was shitty at first. The first day I made it through two rounds in like two to four foot squabble. But I made it, you know, it was enough juice for me. I, I didn't know how to grovel. I was like a VLAN surfer. I was like, oh, okay. But I, I did some off the lips, whatever. I made it through my heat. And then the next day, we woke up to freaking, the shore break was 8 to 10 feet, closed out. They sent this out to the Ferry Bower, which is this right-hand reef slab. So all I had was my 5'10". I just ponied up and caught a couple six, eight footers on this reef slab, made it through that day. And then the next day, same board, I, 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 it was like three to five foot perfect sandbar, uh, Manly Beach. And I, and I, I Richard, I took, uh, first it was Richard Marsh, man on man. I, I, it, when I got to the man on man, he invited me to the contest. I took him out. <laughs> then, it was, then it was Cess Wilson. I remember next, um, there was somebody else. I want to say it was Damian Hardman. I can't remember or Ross Clark Jones or somebody. But finally, I got to Gary Elkerton in the semifinals, and I freaking had him beat. I remember the announcer saying, it looks like Latronics got this heat wrapped up unless Gary Elkerton can do something on his next wave, the beach announcer. And sure enough, Gary Elkerton just goes to town. I see like three or four giant rooster tails, and I'm like, oh, shit. And he got whatever he got, an 8.5 or a 9, and, and my last wave was So I'm like, fuck, I made the semifinals. I thought I was going all the way. But still, Billabong, like, that was a big deal, yeah. you know, for Billabong. So they're like, we want you to be pro. I think I made, I think I was making, like, 300, 500 bucks a month. I, I, I was stoked. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm rich. <laughs> so Billabong was paying me to surf. And then um, then I became their team captain. And, and yeah, so I, I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and you know I was kind of not the best contest surfer I was more like a surf trip guy and, and uh, I actually learned how to compete better later because I ended up winning the world title for the ISA and the Masters but um, and I also won a couple NSSA Masters titles I think Masters or Seniors or something like that we gotta but, have a, a heat between you and uh, Lambrizi so, so Lambrizi's man <laughs> um, hold on I gotta tell this guy <laughs> so you, I mean, you obviously, you, you mentioned you got good grades at school, easy, you know, A's, you, you knew how to ride or whatever, but you actually skipped out on going to, you know, um, San Diego State or UCSD. How did you know that? I, I, I do some, some, some checking, checking in on things. And, uh, I saw that you decided to go the pro surfing route. Yeah, I, I um, so in high school here, I was a good writer. I was good in math. I got a lot of good grades. And my um, my English teacher, she was also the American history teacher, 
we had advanced placement courses and she was like, Mike, you're going to college. I'm going to help you. And she wrote all these things for me and, and, and I got my, um, tuition and, and grants and, and, um, it looked like I, I could go to UCSD for free, but <laughs> I was like, okay, Bill Bong wanted me to go do that first year on the, on, on, and do the, do the events. And, and I was like, my mom's like, you know, you can always go to college. This, this opportunity, you got to take it. And I'm like, okay. And everyone's like, no, if you don't go to college now, you're never going to go. They were right. But to this day, I see my news writing teacher. She was my news writing American history and English teacher, Leah Albert. She ended up becoming the superintendent of schools here. Wow. She goes, Mike, I'm actually proud of you. You didn't listen to me, but you made it anyway because she knows I, 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 do a, I do a surf magazine and a surf media business. And it was, it was very, very successful at one time. I mean, we're, we're still going. Obviously, things are a little bit foobar at the moment, but... Um, and digital, you know, is, is, is killed a lot of what magazines used to be. But our magazine's one of the last magazines left in the business printing on a monthly basis. So I'm proud of that. But, yeah, my, my, my old teacher that set me up for college and was disappointed back then, she's like, you did just fine. So yeah. I, I got the lucky pass from her. So, cool. so are you – sorry, but are, did you need to get going pretty soon or can we ask you a couple more well, questions? Let's go 10 more minutes, 20 more minutes, whatever. Okay, perfect. So – so going back, but well, no one can see me, right? I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, no worries. So we, uh, so we're talking about you being a pro for Billabong. You're getting a three, four hundred, three hundred dollars salary a month. I mean, pro surfing was pretty, was still pretty, not infant stage, but in in the in the younger stages, right? Pro professional surfing and how you make a living from it. So you you did the pro tour for a year or or what? I did bits and pieces of the pro tour. Uh, I think in my best ever um, year, I think I made thirty third or something like that okay. on the tour. Or no, it was third. I, I got a thirty third in the triple crown or something like that. I did. I I didn't. I didn't get seated ever. You know, I never got seated except for the Billabong Pro, where the two years I got seated, I made it. You know, I got third place one. I got fourth place one year and third place another year or something like yeah. that. Um, and that and was that, the one that's in pump, right? I don't know. I, yeah, pump or I, I don't know. Um, but but just, you just focused on like the, the Hawaii events mostly. You didn't travel to. Yeah, I did. No, I traveled. I, I went to France. I remember I made a main event there. I did. I got I, I think I got a ninth or a 17th at the Stubbies one year. Yeah. I, you know those those heats where somehow the wrong guy wins. I beat Mike Crookshank at two to four foot Oceanside one year. <laughs> I don't know how. I, I remember I was riding a Gary Linden board and the thing was so good. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, and then uh, I think it was Shane Haran took me out the next heat. Uh, uh told us that Crookshank was one of the gnarliest dudes to surf against because he was just cutthroat right yeah. crick shake and i and, and jim hogan i heard they said Dude, hogan's gnarly <laughs> actually actually hogan i i was doing really good at huntington one year and hogan took me out in the 17th round there too man on man um i got even with him though because in the in the um in the masters in ecuador 
I remember me and Jimmy are friends. I love Jim Hogan. He's the funnest guy. I remember. I remember. I remember distinctly. Remember me, Jim Hogan, and Brian McNulty all drunk dancing by ourselves to um, um, a Beatles song. Oh God, what what was it? It was. um, I'll I'll remember it later in France. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, Hoagie. I'm, I'm like. We didn't have priority yet, but it was like he needed like a 2.5, three points to, to beat me. We were just having a shitty low tide heat. And there was this trough of water that if you go too far past the reef, you get in this deep water trough. And I didn't want to like try to paddle battle Hogan because I know he's a tough little fucking motherfucker. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to get in a paddle battle with him, but I'm going to inch a little closer to him. Yeah. Make it seem like he's, you know, just like, Maybe he'll go a little further over into the trough, and he did. And a little wave came in, and I, I, I kind of paddled up next to him, and he paddled over a little further, just enough to where at the last minute when he wasn't looking, I paddled back over to head back to the reef because I knew it was going to shift and you could catch it from the reef. He missed it. I caught it. I got like a five, and I got through the heat. And I was like, oh, my God, I beat Jimmy. And so I went on to win that contest, so I was, I was stoked. Hell yeah! I love it. The old tales of the of the Jersey. <laughs> so after surfing, you you were kind of surfing. You you said you were helping like manage the Billabong uh, team. What else were yeah, you? Doing? I was kind of like the team guy uh, back before being a team guy was popular. I had a video camera. I, I gave the kids nutritional tips. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of times I took the guys out to sunset. You know. Um, I remember taking Gary Green and, and Stuart Cadden and um, uh, 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 they call him Scoot, uh, what's his name, Scat. Um, yeah, a bunch of Craig Pitchers, like all the old building on Matt Branson. Um, even even when, when uh, I remember taking, um, I was out there with um, uh, Wave Tools guy. Um, Richie, Richie Collins? Richie Collins. So Richie Collins was he was the gnarliest competitor ever. <laughs> but uh, I remember I remember Johnny Boy wanted a piece of Richie so bad. And I freaking I didn't jump in the middle of him, but I was like, Johnny, 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 please, like, dude, just, just forget about this. It's like no no need, bro. You know, like then of course, yeah, you want some too? And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> he was trying to make peace. And it's like, God, just get the fuck out of my you know, so it's like Tensions were flying, and I got in the middle of shit for Billabong all the time. Like, wow. Yeah, and, and then even after when, when it was Hurley, I remember the boys wanted to kill one of the guys from Mexico, and I had to freaking get him to the airport before he got completely destroyed, and, you know, <laughs> just politics. But it, it's hard. It's a bit diplomacy, but uh, it was fun. I mean, it was fun to travel the world and go see things, and, and yeah, so, I started... So- started writing you know i started writing for surfing magazine and tracks magazine and i wrote for a japanese uh, magazine and i started writing and, and then i got involved in in television media with mark fu um i started my own magazine well i start i, I got involved with the magazine with some other guys for a couple of years found out what that was age 3 right yeah and and the owner of h3o was uh not a surfer um he was a good guy. I don't know what happened. He got super greedy and, and tried to oust me after. I gave him six years of, like, everything I could, going to the trade shows, making sales, doing everything. And 
and then um, they pretty much left me high and dry. So I started my own thing with Larry Haynes and, and a guy named Chris Russ. We started Board Stories TV. Um, it's still going. And that was uh, on Oceanic? Yeah, it's on Oceanic Cable now. Uh, it's it's uh, got a couple things going on. In, like, I actually, I have a show. It's not Board Stories because Board Stories on Oceanic, but I just got. Uh, I just did a show. I edited. I, I haven't been editing much, but I finally learned Premiere, and and I edited a. I did an interview and edited a story on Kai Lenny, which turned out to be a whole half hour TV special. It's actually airing on KHON, which is the Fox affiliate in Hawaii. So they bought it from me, and yeah, it's, it's been a great evolution working with media. Now they got that newfangled stuff. What's it called? Oh yeah, digital media. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's. It's pretty exciting what's happening in the world. At the same time, it's it's almost overdone though. Like if, if you're the kind of person that sits on your phone for three hours at a time, you need to get a freaking life. You need to go experience real life and stop living for your likes and stop living for your comments, bro. Freaking real life is so much better. Get outdoors and get some exercise. Yeah. Go enjoy nature. So, so let's talk about what you were just saying it's that it's so weird coming from the generation of uh magazines print magazines and you know long form videos and and now it's and you know surf contests uh so many different things have shifted and changed you know what's your perspective on 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 what's going on I, I think that there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. You know, it's great that we have all, all these mediums to communicate and share with. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is that now there's a bazillion producer. All you need is a GoPro or a phone and you're producing. Yeah. You know? um, but really to be a surfer and, and to love surfing, like some, I, I still think that we're a small segment of the population. Those people that wake up and go, oh, my God, I need to go surf. My body's sore. I'm going to be stiff, but that's okay. I'm, I, this is what my ritual is. And I go to the ocean. You smell the air. You wax your board. You get out there. And and it's frivolous. But to us, it's our life. Yeah. And, and I still think that we're a small segment of the population. Sure, there's a lot of recreational surfers. Ah, we're going to go to Jersey this week. I'm going to rent a board, and I'm going to be a surfer. Fine. Hey, they're having just as much fun as anybody. But the 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 reality is that uh, you can do whatever you want in whatever medium or, or media you want, whether it's television, print, video. Online. But what's never going to change is the stoke that you share with the people in the water, yeah. and that you bring home to your family or or your friends, and you talk about like that is the real. Uh, what do you call that's the, that's the real dynamic in any sport whether it's tennis like being able to share that experience with people who also experience like it, it's a brotherhood in a way or yeah. brotherhoods. Yeah. well like that, like yeah. like with the phrase that you came up with only a surfer knows the feeling well, i was stoned <laughs> um, i'm not sure i was feeling much of anything but you know um, yeah yeah that's uh it's it's um uh, you, you, you know, I'll tell you this from experience, um, that people who don't surf, like my ex-wife didn't surf as much. Um, I married a Hawaiian girl and she, she, she you know, I used to live, um, uh, Chris Malloy shared a, shared a room in my house with me and we used to talk about surfing and she goes, 
you know, from an outsider's perspective, you guys think you're like different than the rest of the world. And I'm like, well, we kind of are, but that's not trying to put us up high and lofty. Like, I don't yeah. feel like surfers are better humans than anyone else, but we integrate with the dolphins and the seals and, and the ocean. Like, we take the energy from around the world, all the energy that produces all the weather around the world makes waves. We take those waves from, you know, they travel thousands of miles across the ocean. We grab that energy. We make use of it. We try to be as graceful and, 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 and actually destructive, whatever you want to call it. We either want to kill the wave, glide through it, whatever. You're doing your thing, and then the wave dissipates on the sand, and it's over. So we're like, we're like recycling the energy <laughs> of the world. And, yeah, that, I don't know if that puts us in a different category. I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. Fucking everybody's there's, – there's amazing athletes in this world. But to commiserate with nature on that level, I think that, I think that surfing is like nothing else, no other sport on the planet. Absolutely. Hey, hey, I don't know. Absolutely. Amen, brother, man. It's, it is a very special sport, hobby, connection, however, whatever people want to break it down. It, it, there's not a day goes by where you don't get out of the water going, man, I shouldn't have paddled out. Man, that just sucks. You know, it's, it's like you get out there and you, you, you come in uh, like you're cleansed and you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like... It's like, okay, whatever's in front of you after that, oh, I got to do like five hours worth of work, or I got to go to a seminar, or I got to drive to town, or I got, you know, I'm just going to go home. A lot of times I'll get my 16-year-old son and I'm like, dude, we need to go to the ocean. Why? Because I'm not going to sit here and watch freaking Lucifer, five episodes of Lucifer (laughs) with you or whatever we're going to watch without having to do something to cleanse our souls first because I love – Good tell. I'm, I'm an action adventure guy. I love comedy. I, I love watching TV. I'll admit it. I like being on my phone. I like to do it. Yeah. But I need the balance. I, I need oh, to. Yeah. I need to earn my blue light time yeah. with with something natural, and I need to cleanse my blue light time with something yeah. natural. So there, a lot of times, like I knew there was waves this morning. I've been amping the surf, but I was like, I forced myself into my wetsuit. I got on my <laughs> moped with my little five pine. And I knew that I'd be sore paddling out, but as soon as I duck, started duck diving my first waves, I I was amping. I caught like ten waves, and I, you know, I mean, being a fifty-something odd year old surfer, Jay, you know this. Like, how many? Well, I don't even know if you're fifty. You're probably in your forties still, but how many like times have have you done a round? Like, there's a section at Sunset Point on the right size and swell that that comes off the outside and then doubles up on this little inside section. And before it doubles up, it gives you a nice wraparound section. You can do a, a big figure eight on. And like, I've probably done that 150,000 times in my life. <laughs> and I still want to do it again. Like, yeah. Oh my God, I love that feeling. I want, I, I don't know. I, and I, I think part of the whole thing about surfing, it really does keep you younger because it's not just the surfing itself. It's not just the amping for waves. Honestly, I think it's getting upside down and getting tumbled. Like, yeah. like yeah, getting getting beat downs. Yeah, get, getting upside down. I think being upside down and being in the water and 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 I, I was just telling my friend this because I was I, I work out with a friend of mine. We just do light weights like twice a week. We do yoga sometimes. And how much you bench? I do like I do like twenty pound weights, fifty pearls, and now you do do like thirty with the twenty fives, and then I'm crying already, and then or whatever. 
nothing much, but it, it's all maintenance. Like, I'm not trying to get bigger or nothing. I'm just yeah. trying to stay in my 31. But that way I can eat all the ice cream I want, supposedly. Maybe not. But um, I was just telling a guy, I was talking out of the water. I'm like, you know, when you think about it, if you're not pushing yourself, then the word is stagnant. Yeah. You, yeah. Could, you could be at a level that's great, but if you're not pushing yourself, technically you're stagnant. Yeah. So when you get in the later life, you know, it only takes a few weeks of slacking off before you go, oh, my God, I feel like shit. I, I just gained five pounds. I, I, I can't even touch my toes anymore. And it's only been a couple of weeks of whatever, too much desk, too much sex, too much sleep, whatever it is, too much couch time, watching TV, too many potato yeah. chips. But a couple of weeks of that, and then you have a couple of months of rehab to get yeah. back to where you even were. So I'm constantly thinking that I need to push myself little by little. I don't want to be a, a, a weight gain guy. I don't, I don't want to be a marathon guy. But I know that if I don't keep trying hard, whether it's you know working out, doing yoga, stretching, or just surfing, like today – I remember being a little tired, duck diving, solution. I mean, I've been paddling, I've been working out, but like nothing prepares you for what you have to go through when the surf's pumping. Yeah. Surfing a recreational day on a small, inconsistent day somewhere in California, easy as pie. Okay, wait for the set to be over, paddle right back out. Surfing four to six foot sunset, cranking on the point when it's like half in the point, half in the bay. There's nothing I can explain to anybody that does aerobics, anybody that does hot yoga, like getting ragdolled and trying to punch through 400 freaking waves in an hour and a half is like, you can't describe how good that is for your body or how bad it is because the best non-workout ever. It, yeah, it, it torques your body, it works your body. And, and, and so, yeah, I'm like, God, if I want to keep surfing, I need to keep pushing myself harder so that I can at least maintain where I'm at. Yeah. So, so I wanted I wanted to ask something really quick. Um, so you, you have this passion for entertainment, TV, movie. Tell us about your uh, some of your stunt doubling you've done surfing. Okay. Well, I yeah. Uh, my 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 big Hollywood break actually North Shore was a, was a, was a Sprite commercial when what? I was 15 years old. Wait, yeah, what? First, yeah. That's can, how I bought my Volkswagen Squareback, brah. How do you, um, can we find that on YouTube? I don't know, maybe. Um, right commercial. Go ahead and look for it. I, I have the commercial somewhere. It's on film. Hopefully the cockroaches haven't eaten it. But um, yeah, George Greeno shot it. So I got to work with George Greeno for a, a month or uh, whatever. And um, I didn't get paid that much. I got a couple thousand dollars for the week. But the residuals lasted for three years. Wow. I probably made 15, 20 grand as a grom. That, I mean, that's how I fueled a lot of my surf trips when I was younger. I didn't really, the sponsor cool. dollars weren't there. I mean, oh, I'm going to pay my own way to France, you know? And, and um, yeah, so I, I got the Sprite gig, and then um, it aired on the uh, Academy Awards first. Shut airing. the front door. Yeah. I was getting like four or $5,000 checks. Um, you know, the first few checks, and then, then I get like 500 here, 700. I don't know how it worked, but it was like, oh my God, that was great. Um, and yeah. then, um, how old were you when that when that came out? I was about 16. Wow, that's, that's epic. How, how, how did you get picked? Like, 
Um, they had a lineup on the beach at sunset. Uh, basically, it was Bernie Baker and Randy Rarick, I guess, were, were hired by McCann Erickson to help us help them pick the surfers. And they just called me up and said, hey, you're a little bit young, but we want you down here. Uh, they might want somebody pretty young. And so it was like, I just remember it was like everybody and anybody. It was like Buzzy and I'm pretty sure it was like Buzzy and Hans. and all, I, I can't remember actually now. I shouldn't say that. You I had the long blonde hair still or were you thinking? I was, I was, I had some bushy blonde hair, but I, I remember it was like 25 of us on the beach and they just lined us up and I got, I got picked out of, you know, like five of us got asked to move forward. And, and then um, a couple of days later, they told me I got it. So naturally, we were super stoked. Yeah, that's insane. Getting a TV commercial gig, dude, that can open a lot of doors, right? I, um, yeah. You mentioned Buzzy. That guy made a career with his face, right? Oh, he was he was the man early. The polo he, he guy? Was, the, the Ralph Lauren polo yeah. guy? He was way up there. So yeah, I'm gonna have to try to dig that commercial up for sure. Six, get the oh, there's a windsurfing one. You do uh, Sprite? What? You looking up I, Sprite I'm commercials? Sprite. It's a Sprite commercial. I, I'm gonna go Sprite commercial <laughs> surfing. So while you do that, let's talk about. Um, you mentioned Kyle Lenny, right? And yes. that that dude's like the Renaissance man of surfing, right? He does, he does like anything you can or, or can think of out in the water. Um, do you foil? Do you kite surf? What you do extracurricular surfing activities? Uh, I've recently kind of gotten into a little more paddle boarding with my friend Mike Takahashi. Um, but no, I, I've I've done. You know, if I'm going to go SUP, it's for fun or exercise. If I'm going to go. Um, paddleboarding is for fun or exercise. I, I'm I'm pretty focused on surfing. Yeah, uh, I'm. You know, the kite thing. Honestly, I used to try to windsurf, but here's my windsurf experience: uh, batten, go out at sunset, end up unhitching everything by camis because I don't want to go all the way to log cabins and get lost to sea. I need to paddle in before I get too far from home. <laughs> so that was my windsurfing experience. I, I just couldn't get it. Um, and so I figured not even like try kiteboarding after that. I'm probably yeah. just getting thrown onto the parking lot. Like, How gnarly like, good are, is John John and, and Bear Mamiya and, and uh, Kai at, at freaking foiling? Oh, yeah. It's oh. awesome. That looks yeah, – that's one thing I would like to try, but I, I'm just like you. I'm, I just got to focus on surfing and, and ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we used to have a ping pong table. That was fun. So what about with all the um, all the wave pools popping up all over the place? Have you had the chance to partake in one? No, Kelly still hasn't invited me. I don't know. He's mad. <laughs> mad. I, I, I've been trying to inch my way back into the friend zone with Kelly for a while, but he got mad and accused me of cheating at words with friends. So. <laughs> Talk about a competitive guy. What? Kelly, invite me to the wave pool. I only own a freaking the last independent surf media business in the business. He's all married to WSL, which is fine. They they do great content. That is hilarious. So what what was the word that uh, he claims that you cheated on? I don't I don't remember. He goes, you're just using a cheat tool, and I I, I think I said something like, 
I felt like a good enough friend. I've known Kelly Slater since he was like 13. Yeah. I totally hail the guy. The guy is amazing. Like, honestly, he is buying, he knows it. I I mean, he is just a a, a superhuman being, like, and and on a lot of levels, super intelligent, you know, very sly, very, very savvy with his investing. And, and, you know, he's, he's brought amazing things to the sport of surfing, including the winningest surfer of all time. But the, the thing is, I felt like I could jab him and just be fun about it. So I'm like, Come on, Kelly. You're you won ten world titles by now. Would cheating have done that? It felt. I, I feel pretty damn good about beating you now. If I cheated, I wouldn't feel good at all. You know that better than anybody. And he like that's it. He wouldn't play me anymore. That's funny. Just and why, I'm why sure are you he's fine with it? He just thinks I'm, I'm a writer. Words is my language, man. Well, no, what, what, I, what I you know words with friends. I actually deleted the game because I spent too much time on it. Me too, I, dude. But. But I would just try words like, oh, I don't know if this is a word. It's like, oh, it, it turns out some kind of Siamese monkey or whatever. So, <laughs> but I, it doesn't mean that I cheated. I just tried every combination I could. Yeah. Well, you're a journalist. I mean, tell them to check well, your resume. I'm competitive. I'm competitive. I'm competitive. Yeah. Same. I know Kelly's competitive, too. We all are. Yeah. Well, hopefully. I, I, I have total respect for the guy. Hopefully, uh, you'll, you'll get to partake in one of those, you know, Kalani's. I think they're going to rebuild theirs, the Palm Springs. Um, a lot of people going yeah, to... I mean, I, I only, you know, when we did H3O and Board Stories back then, there was no WSL media. There was just the surf magazines, basically. Surfing on TV was me and Mark Fu. Yeah. And all those guys, their careers got embellished when we did our work. Yeah. I'm not saying we made their careers, but I'm saying I've put every single one of these guys on television before anybody else did. The Jamie O'Briens, the, the Kalani Robs, the, the, probably even Kelly, well, maybe not Kelly, but like we didn't make a lot of money. I, the only reason I have a home in Hawaii is because Mark Fu helped me refudge my taxes and I refinanced when I couldn't even afford to and somehow bought out Sarlo and, and those guys. But anyway, the, 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 the the prize was never the money. We loved creating surf media. Yeah. Yep. And just trip out because all these kids that want to get a shot in H3O or Board Stories or Free Surf, when they're young, they're just like your best friends and their parents love. And then all of a sudden they get enough money and they hire one of their friends to buy a red camera and they never use you again. And, and it's like, what the hell happens there? Yeah. Where's the loyalty? Yeah. So, you know, um, but anyway, there's guys putting out some great stuff. Yeah, so who, sure. so um, who who owns or run? Is it just you that own and run Free Surf Magazine? Yeah, I um, I had uh, so the guys I started originally. I started a magazine called Groundswell with a character. Um, I'll leave unnamed, and I did all the sales and. After I did the sales, we were talking at his house, and I saw the print bill, and I saw how many magazines he printed, and I said, this isn't what you told me. And he goes, oh, you're not supposed to see that. And I'm like, wait a minute. You just had me lie to all my friends? Like, we were supposed to print 8,000. This thing says 4,000. He says, yeah, I got to do what I need to do to stay in money. And I'm like, wow. yeah, but you can't. You, you can't send me out there to lie to people. Like, I can't do that. Yeah. He goes, well, this is my magazine. i got to run it the way I want. I'm like, oh, it's your magazine now. Okay, you run it the way you want. 
And so I had a split with him. And then these other guys that owned H3O approached me and said, oh, we heard you split from Groundswell, blah, 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 blah. And, and they asked me, to, and I said, well, I'm not going to do it unless I'm one-third owner. You know, I, cause I, you know, there's two guys. And so, yeah, I started that with those guys. But I really learned the hard way once, once you know, I was, I was doing about $600,000 worth of sales a year when I, when I got fired, <laughs> which I wish I had somebody doing $200,000 a year for me. But um, I was making a lot of money for the company, and I had bought my own editing system because I didn't want to drive to Halava to edit video anymore. And, and, and me and my wife at the time, we, 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 we went in with Larry Haynes and Chris Russ to buy a Media 100 setup with a Betacam deck. And so now we had a thing on the North Shore, and life was good, but my... My partner at the time, who owned more of the company than I did, because we went from one third, one third, one third. We got incorporated. Then I owned fifteen percent, because he. Uh, this is long story. I got hoodwinked. I owned fifteen hundred common fucking share stocks of a ten thousand initial release. So yeah, I owned fifteen percent of the stocks. But as soon as he wanted to get rid of me, they, they flooded it with a million stocks and I was nothing and my stocks were worth nothing. And I lost all the work I did for them. And I started uh, board stories, television with Larry Haynes and Chris Russ. And a couple of years later, I started uh, board stories magazine before free surf. And then I had a little more partner shuffling, bless his heart, best cameraman on the planet, Larry Haynes. We had a misunderstanding and, so I bought them out, and then I owned Board Stories and Free Surf because the magazine went from like by uh, quarterly to by monthly, and all of a sudden I'm doing 120 page issues. Like I'm making, I'm I'm creating more receipts than I've ever seen in my life. Like oh my god, you know I'm bringing in 60 grand this issue. It's only costing me 35. I I got 25 grand, and so. For a while, I was like, I had 12 people on my staff. I spent most of the money. I don't know what I did with it. And I, I got divorced and all that stuff. So it's not like I have a ton to show for it. But um, I started Free Surf by myself. And I will not take a partner on unless they really have a lot to offer. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I am a big fan of Free Surf magazine. I yeah. love to... When I walk into HSS or, or Jack's and I see it there, you know, on the counter and it's a great magazine, man. Like there's not very many out there anymore and, and it, it's it stokes me out when I see it. Yeah. Well, nowadays our conversations all revolve around, yeah, print, but we, we know we have to find some kind of digital solution for people. We, yeah. we have like 115,000 followers, um, so we don't do too bad digitally. Um uh, you know, Lyndon, if you, you want to help with sales on the California coast, I, I, I don't know why after freaking 20 years I can't get Aaron Pye or, or any of the boys at, at, at Jack's or, like, where's my support for the magazine in California? Well, now you're going to get it, buddy. Right on, buddy. I definitely want to lay down. He's going to get you exposure over here, and we're going to hustle. We're going to work it. Yeah. Well, my next day, I, I just canceled October because of everything that's going on in Hawaii. We got shut down again. Yeah. But my next project is the big-ass November issue. November is always my biggest issue. So if you want to have a conversation later, we should because okay. I need help with some California accounts. 
Okay. And even like Joe at at at, at um, bonsai uh, bonsai bowls and 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 you know just walking in and and, and saying, look, especially now with COVID nineteen, look, surfers are we're back to like there's no there's not as many tourists now, and yeah. and, and the surf industry needs to rely on surfers more than ever. Yeah. And and so I'm I'm hoping that you know we can make a resurgence because I I want to survive. I was very you know, the, the magazine doesn't make a ton of money anymore. Um, you know, I do it mostly for my legacy now because I've, I've invested in real estate and stuff. And I've, I could be self-sufficient without my business, but yeah. I love my business. And it's a legacy. Like, to become the, the voice of surfing in Hawaii is truly an honor. And, and I'm, I, I'm baffled every day that I'm like, oh, my God, how, how am I running Hawaii's surf media and and i'm proud to do so and i've gotten accolades from the locals you know Uh, i mean obviously there's been some bumps along the way you know with correct use of hawaiian language and and this and that but um really it's it's just such an honor and privilege i don't want free surf to die because it's a legacy it's the last privately owned surf magazine on the planet perhaps so on on freesurfmag.com are you are you doing like movies too, or getting kids okay. to submit so videos um, and stuff? Free, okay, so our handle on Instagram is at freesurfmag, but our website is freesurfmagazine.com. Okay, and yeah, there's a ton of videos. Um, you know, we've got uh, you know we we regularly swap out our stuff, our stories and stuff. I mean, we're not trying to be the inertia. We're not trying to be stabbed. You right. know, you need a big like daily crew for that. We do what we do, yeah. and, and I love telling stories. Like this, this thing on um, Kai Lenny, the, the, the world's going to see it soon because as soon as it goes on um, Fox, which is like next week, um, they're going to put it online, and then I'm allowed to put it online. Yeah. But, um, you know, I really like, like a lot of the stuff in surfing is like wallpaper. It's great. We love to watch it. It's, it's like, call it surf porn. You know, how many times can you watch a guy get spit out of a barrel? As many times as you keep showing me something different, it's the same but different. Yeah, I'll yeah. keep watching it. I love it. Oh, we made it. Oh, we made it. You know, but ultimately, the storytelling's gone. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm an old school storyteller. I like, you know, like okay, if I'm going to talk about a, a, an individual, I want to give you some background on who he is, where he came from, why we're featuring him, yeah. and why his opinion even matters. Yeah. And so that's what I did with Kai Lenny. I was really intrigued by the guy. I met him a couple times. He's like one of the really coolest uh, sports people I know. He's very humble about what he does, but yet he's very outspoken and colorful. So I knew it would be a great interview. What what outlet um, are you releasing that video? That's going on uh, KHON Channel 2 first. That's the Fox affiliate in Hawaii. Okay. So it's broadcast station uh, that, that bought my, my work. Um, I actually showed it to my nephew. My nephew is the host of Board Stories TV, or he used to be, because now he works for Fox. He's the the, the, the part-time weatherman, part uh, full-time traffic um, host for the news. Cool. And and so, yeah, I showed it to Chris, and he showed it to his boss, and they said, we need this. We want this. That's Come awesome. Okay, we'll give you this. So I was like, oh, my God. You know, I, I wrote, direct, edited the whole thing by myself. So I was like... You know, not blowing smoke up my own ass, but like after having a crew for so long and having to rely on this guy to shoot this and that guy to shoot this and this guy to edit, I, I spent 
the first two months of the lockdown learning how to edit with Premiere. I used to be really proficient on Media 100, which was one of the first nonlinear editing systems. Um, so funny back then because we spent $5,000 for a 16 gigabyte fucking drive. <laughs> wow. Nowadays, you got a little GoPro dime sized chip that's 128 mega, uh, gigabyte. Anyway, yeah. $13. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I started editing with Premiere, and I, it's like it's like driving around in a Cessna for most of your life, and then jumping into a fighter jet. There are so <laughs> many bells and whistles to edit with now. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's awesome. So it took me a little while to to try to learn the bells and whistles, but once I did, I got right into Kai Lenny, and I'm actually trying to think who's my next guy. I really wanted it to be Zeke Lau, or I might try to do Billy Kemper. Baron um, Mia, Eli Hanneman. There's a lot of well, young, young Hawaiians. Guy, I don't know about doing a whole show about one of the young guys, but someone like Billy I could pull off. Cause I, so also, I've been shooting since 1999, 2000. I got a mini DV camera right around then. And so while I've been doing board stories since 1997, my library is oh my 20 years old now. Yeah. I have, you know, interviews with Kelly when he wasn't bald. I have, I have, I have, <laughs> I have, uh, uh, you know, John John Florence at the May Day Parade, you know, carrying a, a, a lay for, for the May Day Queen, whatever, stuff like that. Like, I've got a history of Makua Rothman and Jamie O'Brien and all these guys, and I just started digitizing it all. But what just happened is all of my older computers that had the Firewire plug to get to the DV deck to actually control the deck have died. Oh. So now I'm looking for a solution to get my because i went through two dvd decks i bought a third one i digitized like three or four hundred hours of some of my oldest stuff but i still have like five or six hundred hours of tape that hasn't been digitized and then I so have like another you've got a stockpile of i've got archives oh that's why you got to keep keep this uh this channel going yeah you gotta you gotta you got endless content and that's what's more relevant now is going back and 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 seeing some of that old stuff, the guys that paved the way, when guys were you know changing design and surf or doing something different, and you know it's all that history. Is let me see if I can get. Let me see if I can look up Jay Larson and see what. <laughs> um, you know, there's probably times before I even knew you that I had footage of you that I did like it was like NSSA, and I'm like, oh, guy in blue. So I, I could go back and look at a lot of my old stuff. Because, so so yeah. Tron, you know that. Uh, Fuel TV, remember Fuel TV? Yeah, you know, me. yeah, you know it's coming back, right? Um, yeah, Don's been playing hardball with me. Oh, <laughs> my shows are too expensive. <laughs> Don, if you're listening, bro, lighten up, bro. Coming to VLAN, bro. You like come VLAN? <laughs> well, then, just to just to get it out on the table, they are our new sponsors for the Late Night with Chalky podcast. So. We'll we'll uh, we'll try to. Uh, not have rights to use me on Fuel TV until Don does a deal with me. That is final. All right. Well, we're only using this audio, and it's not going to be on Fuel TV. He's barreled it off the walls. He comes out. He does a roundhouse. That's just the wave I remember. Wait, you already pulled up Larson? I got Larson. <laughs> I, I could share my screen. I'm going to share screen with you guys. Hold All right. On. Hold on. Hold on. Oh wait, you gotta you got you gotta enable it. 
Uh, shoot, man. Keep doing what you're doing. We love yeah. Free Surf Magazine. Um, we're stoked that you uh, came on the show with us. We got some really cool stories from you. Um, yeah. Shit. You know, when's that movie coming out, Kyle Lenny? And what's it called? Um, it, it's it, we, we kind of went pretty basic. It was Kyle Lenny, The Ultimate Waterman. Oh, awesome. And it's not a movie. It's, it's a half-hour TV special. Um, there is one little segue to a pipe segment, but other than that, it's it's four or five pretty much up close personal conversations with Kai Lenny about life and and the different experiences he's had. Um, there's also uh, one of my favorite parts is, and he handled it really well. Is you know there's a big hole in his trophy room, right? Because he's by and far one of the best surfers on the planet at Jaws, by and far. He just rips out there, and, and not, not taking anything away from Billy Kemper or Albie Lay or any of the other guys, they actually charge insanely. But Kai is like so multi-talented out there, and he looks like like he should have won it by now. Yeah, yeah. But he hasn't, and so I asked him, <laughs> and yeah, he he's like you know. Anyway, he was pretty humble about it. So yeah, um, that'll be up uh, soon, and you know, talk to Don Meek about purchasing it. I, we usually get between ten and twenty thousand video views between Facebook and, and Instagram, so it's not, you know, it's not chopped meat. It's it's got some it's got some legs there. Yeah, for sure. Well, it seems like you know, people. I mean, most of the companies are, are kind of doing their own marketing, and they're trying to do their own direct to consumer and their own you know their their own media like kind of companies now and that i think that just goes to where you know with all the social media out there that's kind of where they're at but man i it, like you said it, nothing better than going back to an old mag style where you get to see stories about the people about the trip and and having you know a little bit more substance and content than just you know a quick you know the whole digital space is important. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, on that yeah. angle, I probably have content. I probably have archival content and fresh content or can go get fresh content for any of these companies. So if you're the, the idea is that the digital space is so hefty and crowded with, with, with content that the magazine actually stands out as something unique now. Yeah. The, there's no ROI to track. There's no real um, click-through value, but it's it's like it's like having a billboard where you know surfers are going to see it. Yeah, you know, that's it. If if you want people to go shop at, at at Target, fine, put a billboard up on the 405. But if you want to catch yeah. the imagination of surfers, please use free surf. Absolutely. Surfing mag, surf surf mag for surfers. Only surfers about surfers. That's what we <laughs> Only surf fans know the feeling. Free surf mag. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks, Tron, Mike. You're the best. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Good to catching up. Nice to see you, Jay. Thanks, Lyndon. All right, bye. I'll, I'll see you over there soon. Right. See you, Tron. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.